0: Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversations, episode number seven, lucky number seven, Pete Humes. Pete Humes, who was the editor of Punchline uh, Magazine Weekly Paper, I guess, was a tabloid, um, it was published from like 1997 to 2003, maybe, um, then he went on to uh, edit Brick which was sponsored by the Richmond Times-Dispatch and uh, continued to write for a while. Um, He's no longer in the publishing gang, but still writing. I went over to his house in, in Northside last Saturday, sat in his library, beautiful house, lots of books. And we talked about Punchline and we talked about other stuff. We talked for two hours. This was a very tantric conversation. Um, I'm a little self-conscious, i got to be honest with you, about these longer ones um, that are two hours, maybe two hours and change uh, sometimes. Um, I, this one and the next one, uh, Ryan Muldoon, who was a writer for Punchline 2, also uh, worked there wasn't just freelance like like me and many others. He actually had a desk, a punchline. I talked to both of these guys for a good two hours and you know, part of me wants to edit these down, but that's not what I set out to do. And I'm afraid that if I start editing I'm going to stop being authentic. I'm gonna be worried about a product and I'm not going to be faithfully rendering The experience, and it was everything. It's warts and all. I'm putting this out there. I mean, I am, um, being vulnerable, I guess, um, myself, um, putting all of my junk out there, talking about all this stuff in history and everything. Um, and I'm hoping other people are, are approaching it that way too, but, you know, it's gotta be real. Um, that's that's what I've gained. I've enjoyed hearing people get real and I want it to be real. So there you go. Uh, before we get to um, Pete, I wanna say a few things about some other things. One, I was just talking to my old regional manager at my last job at restaurant depot today, and although I am no longer working there, I still I still think it's a it's a great organization. I'm gonna give them a little freebie here. Um, I worked for him for four years. Uh, I think it's a great way for people who are, have small businesses, small restaurants, convenience stores, catering businesses, nonprofits, all those things. It's a great way to save yourself money and not get gouged by delivery guys or buy stuff, um, retail. And it's in a lot of ways it's, it's better than, uh, Costco and Sam's club. Um, so check it out. There's one here in Richmond, Virginia on uh, Param and Brook, the shopping center with the Lowe's and the Walmart. I'm still living off their money and I'm still living off their insurance. So hey, it's the least I can do to say something nice about them. But I mean, my experience of working for them, I, I worked for them while I was in the midst of this whole Minnesota um, experience that I mentioned last week. And I found that going to that job pretty excruciating sometimes, and I would, as I'm walking up to it, I would pretend that this concrete building was a, some kind of a temple. I'm like, I obviously have things to learn in here, I got things to learn about myself, the way that I react and overreact and behave in work situations, and this is as good a place to do it as any. I'm not, I I swore to myself I wasn't going to leave there until I loved it. But I, uh, that didn't really work out that way. Um, you know, last night I was talking to Ryan and Ryan Muldoon, who is next week, and I was looking at all of these assumptions and attitudes that I have. And then this morning I was talking to my friend, and she recommended that I listen to this podcast. I can't remember the woman's name now, but she was interviewing Jerry Ryan, who used to play. Seven of Nine on on uh, Star Trek Voyager. And obviously, Jerry Ryan was put on that show for the TNA quotient for her physical attributes. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. She was tall and blonde and 28 years old at the time, I think. And I mean, I used to always joke when she'd be walking out of a room, you know, she's in a skin tight bodysuit. Oh, hey, seven, I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. But, um, since I've been, I've been rewatching that series on, uh, on Netflix and I find myself really identifying with that character and her, and her struggle, like to become human after having been a Borg and having been conditioned in, you know, by this, by the collective. And a lot of what I do, you know, whatever my non-dogmatic rambling spiritual path is in life is about, um, undoing some of that conditioning or recognizing that I have a choice about some of the conditioning of how I've been brought up, what I've been taught, what I've learned over time. And, um, and I identify with this character and I really, I really love the way that, uh, the, uh, actress, um, inhabits the role. I mean, she's really a great actress and she it finds a lot of humor in it and and really, I mean, very sincerely explores the pathos of and what is, you know, on the surface, a silly sci-fi convention. I mean, I think people have always liked Star Trek because I think there's a lot of relevant uh, human stuff in there. I've also been watching uh, Enterprise, which is that prequel thing, and felt kind of the same way about the female Vulcan character on there to Paul played by Jolene Blaylock who is obviously once again in that role uh because of her physical attributes and uh as we they say about the Sulaban in that show she has been genetically enhanced surgically altered obviously she's got a very hollywood body of fake breasts and collagen injected lips and um you know, again, the producers of that show put her on there to titty-trick the audience, as the girls I used to wait tables with would say when they were bartending. They'd show a lot of cleavage and titty-trick the customers. But, um, again, Jolene Blaylock does a great job of playing this Vulcan woman, the first Vulcan to serve on a human ship. But the Vulcans don't like the way people, humans smell or behave, and it's a major thing for her to lock herself in a ship and go off into space with them. And, um, she plays that character well too. And, um, I guess beyond saying that both of these women while being beautiful, really were trying to be more than what they were hired to be. They were doing a good job playing their roles. What I found myself really in in some of my la- unconditioning of my attitudes towards women. I mean, I, I'm like any other red blooded American boy. I look at a beautiful woman and, and my mind goes straight to certain things, I can't help that. I can, I can help whether or not I live on that basis and and behave based on those behaviors and urges. But since I've been, you know, looking at this stuff, I, whatever is the byproduct of it, I have really come to really like the, the characters these women are playing. And I'm really open to the characters of all of these other women around me. And I'm really hoping to get more women on this show I'm sincerely interested in what their struggles are, what's going on inside them. Um, I am, I'm thankful that I am growing up to the point that I can really see, you know, all the dimensions. And it's kind of like my sister put that Dustin Hoffman thing on my page where he's talking about playing Tootsie and talking about how he had missed so many opportunities to talk to women who weren't attractive. And, um, I don't, I don't think I've that because I find a wide range of women attractive, but, um, that's a whole other story. I am just what, for whatever reason, I am really enjoying the entire picture of most humans these days, males and females. I've mostly gotten guys on this show, but I'm hoping to get more women and, I was inviting um someone who I'm hoping is gonna be on the show soon and she asked me, you know, what's the topic? And I was like, I don't this is not a topic driven thing. I pick personalities. I don't pick topics. And the personalities have happened to be entertainment personalities, but it's not gonna be the way it is all the time. I'm interested in all kinds of people. Every job is valid. I mean, um as the new bomb Turk said, all work is honorable and art is just a job. Um I want to talk to other people who have other kinds of jobs than just uh, painters, musicians, writers, um, because it's it's all about living life, and it's all about what goes on, and everybody has got something interesting to add to the tantric conversation. So um, without any more delay, let's get down to Pete Humes. We can start recording, and if I don't like it, I will just cut it out later. Sounds good. I'm here with Mr. Pete Humes, uh, old friend and editor. You were editor of Punchline, right? Or what was your title? Yeah, was uh, ed- editor-in-chief. I was editor in chief. I guess we just kind of made chief. that up. H N I C.
1: I don't know why. Uh, sounded good at the time, I guess.
0: How did you like uh, Oh, how, Actually, how did that start? Like, how did Punchline start?
1: Um, <clears throat> let's see. Well, I was working at. I was working at the track restaurant in Carytown. I was a bartender. And then one of the regular customers that would come in was Dwayne Nelson, who owned the bird theater. And we got, I don't know, we were in some conversation and he needed somebody to help him do advertising for the bird screen stuff. And I was only, you know, I was working at night.
0: This is the, like, slideshow stuff that they put Yeah, a little slideshow. He needs somebody
1: to do some, I don't know, sell sell it or design it or something. And I told him I would help him out. So, you know, I needed something to do during the day. So I started helping him out, and then I got really bored with it pretty quick. So I had a thought, you know, that maybe we should try to do a a paper. Because years before that, I worked. I met a guy who did the Richmond Funny Paper. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. It was like. It was like all political cartoons uh-huh. and, and weird like one panel stuff and i met this guy and i ended up illustrating some covers and i and i did like a couple of really bad comics mm-hmm. and put them in this thing and then he went out of business but through him i sort of kind of got the idea how it worked so when i was doing this stuff for Dwayne, and i got you know, I got pretty bored quick doing the advertising stuff. Like, because uh, we were trying to do like a graphic design company. And so I didn't, this I was didn't know
0: strictly, was okay. it was only for the bird screen, or were you guys? It was on, to well, say, well, we, we were could, trying to do other stuff. We were trying you to could do, build like, ads for people, and yeah, and, and we
1: would do like, I don't know, logos and menus and shit like that. And and that was, I wasn't really good at that. And this was in the time when like Macintoshes and Photoshop. You know, if you wanted to scan something, you would scan it and then go to lunch and come back <laughs> and then it might be done. You know, the the technology was still
0: in its instance.
1: Yeah, it was still pretty rough. Um, but then I had this idea and I started sort of researching it on the side and then I pitched it to him and I said, this thing was around. Why don't we just do this funny paper thing? You know, we'll do it once a month. We'll just put comics in it and it'll be really easy. And, you know, we'll sell ads and we'll make. We'll make our money back immediately.
0: Because that's like people's favorite part of the paper anyway. Yeah, the yeah comics, it was just comics. Right? And so, were the comics going to be local? Or was that No, the plan it was the like person?
1: like I figured out how to do it. I, I I don't know if I called this guy or I just went through the syndicates and I just said, look, this is what we're trying to do, and I figured out how much it was going to be. But I, I, I did this really bad sort of business plan, and I try, try, try to show him that we could make our money back immediately. I had no clue what i was
0: doing right with publishing it and with paying for the syndicated comics
1: yeah we would sell ads and then we would make our money back but i had no clue as to like the the work it takes to sell the ads but anyway i convinced him to do it and it was really like back and forth up until the end because we weren't selling Mm -hmm. we weren't selling any ads you know, we were put, we had, like, bird theater ads and some other stuff.
0: But And who was helping you <clears throat> sell them at that? Was it just you or did you have a staff? Of-
1: I think it was just me. I think it was, like, his office manager at the time. But it, I, just re- I remember the, the day that I was like, are we going to do this or are we not going to do this? And he was like, all right, let's do it. So we did it, and it came out, and people liked it. And it was, like, a monthly thing. So there was, like, a long. Oh, yeah. It was a long wow. expanse of time. Uh I don't know. It just it started going from there, and then we had, you know, we kept trying to sell, and then we brought some people in part-time, and then um, it just kind of took off from there and to its own thing.
0: And it, were you writing stuff then, like the editor? I did, like, an editorial like, uh-huh. thing,
1: and then I started gradually getting some more, like, humor pieces in there, and I I tried to bring a few more people in to do stuff. I tried mm-hmm. to get, like, local comics. And it just—it's sort of sort of picking up momentum. Mm -hmm. It was hard though because it was like a monthly thing. Um, And then around you know eight months into it, I got married, and then I made the decision to like we were going to move to New York. And then I was like, "Well, I want to stay here and do this thing because I think it's taken off." So I ended up staying here to do that and it Didn't just quit the uh,
0: bartending job and try to do that full time yet
1: uh, i can't remember how that no I th- i'm sure i did it in some capacity you know maybe just a little bit less but um but then eventually you know brought, brought more people in and it turned into more of like a weekly paper thing brought john goldberg in mm-hmm. who was a you know a big proponent of making it like the stranger from seattle and the city paper and so it was really it, it sort of like took this journey, but the people that came in along the way just just carried it even further, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Because um, everybody was excited to have something to do with all of this uh, talent and education in Richmond that really what there yeah. wasn't a market for.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like everybody was like the the sort of the brilliant misfit mm-hmm. of the city, and they were like, you know. It was absurd for people to think like, "Oh, I'm going to work at the Times Dispatch, or I'm going to work for Richard Magazine, or I'm going to work for Style." It was like this different, cool there were th- thing.
0: Basically, three periodicals being
1: published. Yeah, that was it, right? That was it.
0: The newsletter was gone, and it was just the Times Dispatch daily.
1: And that was another know. thing too. I think I was I was bartending. Uh, I was also bartending, like Davis and Maine, or something. And I was like, read. I would read Style every Wednesday because it was slow and I would, I would bartend at the beginning of the night and I was like desperate for something to read and I remember flipping through style and I just got so annoyed it was the same boring stuff like mm-hmm. week after week
0: what's going on at Lewis Ginner Botanical Gardens yeah you know? and this was uh, I, I, not that I mean, there's anything wrong with that
1: yeah but. I mean it's changed since then but at the time it was like it just seemed so on uh, lack of a better word it was like uncool yeah and frustrating and mm-hmm. I wanted Richmond to be, I knew Richmond was more interesting. So it was also propelled by this idea of like doing something better.
0: Mm -hmm. And you were a VCU student. Uh, When did you, you went to VCU, right?
1: Yeah, I went to VCU and uh, sort of took the long track and I went from 88 to like 95. I was a sculpture major.
0: So we were the same basically the same yeah I did it five in a summer semester yeah there so we both came in in 88 yeah so you remember what it used to be like that it was gray street and there were all of these yeah it was all dirty there. and
1: run down and yeah. kind of dangerous and, mm-hmm. and just weird there were no chain stores there were right. no like chain restaurants there were no biker bars there was you know there was Burger King and there was homeless people <laughs> and it was like Newgate Prison and mm-hmm. all this all this shit that like was really interesting to me
0: yeah, and it, and it seemed to me at that time, like, I had, I grew up in Churchill. Where did you grow up? In Richmond? Or no,
1: I grew up fall? in Virginia Beach.
0: Yeah, so you came so. here to go to college? Yeah. And was that a selling point for you when you came? Like, wh- what was your major at ECU? Sculpture. So you came. Arts, oh, so. you just said that. Yeah, so you, it was,
1: it was like... AFO. Yeah, it was like AFO. I mean, it was the only, it was the only school I applied to. And I got in. And I, you know, I took the little, uh give presentations on, like, each school, mm-hmm. each
0: school of the arts uh-huh. at VCU. and the, Like painting, sculpture. Yeah, and the sculpture making. presentation
1: mm-hmm. seemed the most fun. Right. So I was like, I'll do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you were, so that that was how a lot of people picked VCU, is, like, they didn't want to go to college, college. I'm not saying that's. Yeah. But they wanted to do something that they were good at. Maybe they didn't feel like actually reading books and writing. I and mean, you have to do a little bit of that. But they wanted to just kind of do something interesting and fun and yeah. you come and visit vcu and there's this scene going on on gray street there. yeah and i was to-
1: i was just totally lazy too i was like, yeah. i didn't <laughs> i don't know i didn't want to apply to a lot of schools and i don't know it didn't seem like that big a, i don't know it didn't seem like that big a deal or maybe it was something that i you know you had to go to college you had to apply somewhere and i got in i'm like okay that's done I'm just going two right. hours. Two it's hours just the from next step.
0: It's like okay, I went to elementary school, middle school, high school. Yeah. Let's go to college. Yeah, and yeah. That's kind of how I was about it too. I applied to two schools, and VCU was one of them.
1: I did. You one know, ideally, head. I would have liked to have gone to like California and gone to like film school, but that seemed right. like there was no possible way I was going to get my shit together to right. to, to do that. <laughs> do that enough, but yeah. So it was just.
0: And at that time, VCU was known as one of the, if not, it was number two on the east coast for art schools or something. I had a, it had it was a good thing. I
1: think it was pretty big and it was coming up. But um yeah, it was a totally different school than it is now.
0: But and we I... had this scene around there. Yeah. Like there were there were all of these musicians, uh artists. There was a lot of crossover with that. You like people just kind of they were AFO students who also were in bands or doing or doing performance art or doing yeah. theater or whatever and they were all of these empty warehouse spaces so people did some stuff in like formal spaces but there was a lot of just like whatever like you go to this warehouse above Richmond Camera and there was a band playing and whatever and we knew that was going on but nobody else knew that was going on yeah
1: and it was kind of a really informal sort of interesting just interesting shit going on everywhere Um,
0: and was Punchline a desire I mean you don't I mean you always with that there's that double-edged sword of wanting to bring some attention to the stuff that's going on here. That's cool. You know, I don't think, I don't know about you, but I wasn't thinking about money. I just thought, you know, I, I, I want people to know my town is cool. Yeah. You know, cause I'd done the New York thing. I, I was one of those people that had left New York because it wasn't cool enough. I needed more cool. I went to New York, no money and mo- no career thinking just like I need more cool. Yeah. So I went to New York and that's what most people do from this town they just split they go to new york they go to san francisco they go to chicago yeah the ones that stuck around you wanted to just give them some- Well, it was funny because there was a lot of people that had gone away and come back like
1: you know john had gone away and come mm-hmm. back and everybody goes away and comes back and they bring like hey this is what these people are doing in these other places we yeah. can do that here and that's kind of been this like recurring thing in richmond um you know you can do it here i mean mm-hmm. you can go somewhere else and you know struggle or it just seems a lot easier here but the the way that it just came together was just it was just perfect timing you know Mm -hmm. it was all of us at the certain age and the certain you know we didn't have families we didn't have too many obligations we could just we were moving from apartment (laughs) to apartment you know all you had to do was cover the rent
0: Mm -hmm. get a little job in food service you know wait some tables bartend
1: yeah Yeah. you stay up all night and Mm -hmm. and work on stuff you could you know it was perfect and i always i always look back on it as like this band that i was in mm-hmm. you know for six years or whatever. who else
0: was in the band in the beginning Jayon. Yeah, jay on
1: showed up he was in like in a writing Jayon falsini was in like a writing class of mine and he was just this interesting dude who was always at the at the periphery and i ran into him in carry and he was like yeah i want to write for you and i said all right just come on by and you know we were in this little office above the uh, coffee shop next mm-hmm. to the bird and uh he came over and he was like i'll do whatever you want so he ended up like delivering the papers
0: yeah you know yeah. he was like
1: one of the first guys to do that and then he just kept submitting you know little writing and uh, you know suddenly i was like driving this thing but i was never uh, it wasn't you know i didn't have designs on being an editor or being like this the boss The boss of anything <laughs> I was just like Yeah this You know let's You know maybe what I had Was like this vision For this thing That was coming together But but like I said It was everybody You know Coming up with these ideas But yeah he came in And um, This guy I don't remember If you remember Chris O'Keefe I don't remember He him. was around He was like one of the first guys who was there He was helping me out From Philly And uh, We had like You know we had people selling ads. We had this girl, Dana, from Charlottesville who came in. And everybody everybody just pushed it along a little mm-hmm. bit. And Abby Harper came oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. and was like... She's back in town now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was she selling ads, Abby? She was selling ads, yeah. She was like, you know... And we knew these people would come in and they would like... Because it was sort of this ragtag thing. They would come in and if anybody had a little bit of their stuff together, they would you know, they were going to last for maybe six months, you know, do as much as they could and then move on and get like a real job. But we were, you know, we were glad to have that. And then, you know, John came in and did his design and I don't know. It was just a cool bunch of people, you know, Ryan Muldoon.
0: Oh yeah. Convinced him to move here from Virginia beach. How did He was submitting articles like he would write record reviews or yeah. He would like music reviews Mm
1: -hmm. and, and, and stuff, and and as like, again, it was like timing. He was mm-hmm. in Virginia Beach and didn't have a family or anything, and was like, "I said, yeah, I'll hire you for like two hundred fifty dollars a week or some some ridiculous thing." <laughs> but it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. It was you were getting paid to write, and it was fun. It was mm-hmm. cool. Um,
0: Just getting paid anything to write was is, was a pretty big deal. Yeah, cause nobody was going to pay you to write for the Times Dispatch and Style unless you wanted to write about yeah the bu- the mundane, boring.
1: Or even if you could get in. I mean... Yeah.
0: There was plenty of people It, it was there. like
1: there was no way of getting in. It mm-hmm. was like... And it seemed impossible. And it also seemed like I didn't... You didn't want to do that. Like nobody yeah. wanted to go to the Times Dispatch and Write or nobody wanted to go to Style and Write. They wanted to do
0: something different. So it lasted for six years. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it lasted for six... Yeah, six years. It was 97 to 2003.
0: And it was a monthly. Then it was a bi-weekly, And then it was a weekly. Yeah, and it was yeah. A, when
1: it was a weekly, then we moved into the Broad Street spot over where oh, uh, yeah. Cabos was. Or
0: oh my God, I forgot. I forgot there were <clears throat> two places. That's right. You were in that little office. We were in a little office. The then, then we shop, super. And then, then we moved. super
1: expanded really quick, and we had these like. We had no idea what we were doing, business wise, and you know, it was like little kids playing, mm-hmm. playing like, "Hey, let's have a business." Yeah, you know. So we were like, "Oh, we got to get office supplies. We got to get a water cooler. We got, right. you know, all this stuff that didn't matter." And uh, we were just doing our thing.
0: And were and you then, selling uh, enough ads? I remember at one point, like it, somewhere along the way, and maybe in the beginning or consistently, there were some people that just did trade. Like you got, <clears> you, you, yeah, added, was, you could go eat there for free or whatever, yeah. There was some but,
1: trade, and uh, the th- but the thing was too, it was. It was you know, we would bring people in to sell ads who were, mm-hmm. you know, just as... They weren't salespeople. They were people who, like, waited tables at night. They were coming right. in to sell ads during the day. So they weren't... Uh,
0: Tenier was one of them. Tenye and, and, and... Was it Shannon? Was it Shannon yeah. Harrington? She? Yeah, yeah, she was
1: in there. And it was just like... we. So we were trying to get this... Pro- we were trying to get the level of professionalism up um, to, to get our sort of act together. Because following up and billing and... All this stuff. It was it was a crazy, crazy process. And then you know, then I met Liz and she had worked for Style mm-hmm. and it seemed like she was the grown up in the room and mm-hmm. we were like I just called her up and I said, you know, John Goldberg said he met you at I can't even remember where it was he met her, but he was like, Yeah, what you said we should we should get together and talk about working here. So I remember I was like, "Yes, let's get her to do anything that she wants to do."
0: She was doing it in <clears throat> style she was selling personals and she was working in the classified, classifieds, so, yeah. yeah, so
1: you know her coming in was like, "Okay, let's get this grown up to like to get us together." So she came in and did she did a lot of classifieds, she did a lot of the organizing of the sales, and then eventually you know she just became the publisher mm-hmm. and we were like,' okay, as much of this." organizational stuff that you can do (laughs) please do because you know I'm no good at it at all
0: like you had two people delivering it the entire thing for a while there was Philip and me for a a good chunk of time like I know Jayon did it at one point and then it was just the two of us and
1: yeah it was a weird it was was just a weird process because then it was sometimes it would be me Yeah, you know it was me and Jayon doing it it would take all day and it was just like (laughs) Jayon's truck exploded one day (laughs) You know, you just go around with, like, black ink up yeah, to your elbows. Right. <laughs> but it was a cool thing because you go into these places and they'd be like, hey, Punchline's here. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, yeah. weird places you would never imagine, like Locker Room on mm-hmm. Forest Hill Avenue. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, Hooters on the south side or, like, you know, these weird restaurants and delis. But you'd also you'd just get to see all these places and you'd get to, like, I don't know. Was you see a, that
0: there is more to Richmond than we tend to think, you know, like you get kind of landlocked here and you're like, it's, it's just this little chunk. It's Laurel street over here. It's Oregon Hill. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There were so many, you know, we were trying to expand to these different places and I don't know. It was a good, it was a good time,
0: you know, and Um, at at the height of its circulation, did it ever really challenge style for like circulation? Did it get up to the,
1: I don't know. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, it you know, we had our, we hit our stride at some points, but
0: circulation numbers, no, it just it didn't get there. Um, it seemed like it had the hearts and minds, like yeah, on that yeah, level, yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't that wasn't <clears throat> translating into printing, paying to print this many copies, and uh, being able to distribute that many copies. Yeah, and it was yeah. just
1: it was just our experience. I think they just caught up with us, you know, because we were like trying to pay bills and trying to figure out the business part of it and you know once we've once we figured out what the business part of it was we had like three years of not figuring out what the business part was <laughs> that's, that was like
0: in debt. building
1: and catching up <laughs> to us and it just got exhausting after a while you know mm-hmm. um, so we sort of made the decision to stop but you know there were people who were like no don't don't and, you know we had some help in trying to like uh, figure out ways to keep it going, but you know we were also really
0: exhausted. Mm-hmm. We were just really, really. Yeah, you guys would be up all talent. night getting for deadline. Yeah, the weekly grind.
1: Thing. The weekly grind was was crazy, but you know, again, I look back at that, and that's like, you know, I don't know, you know, if you've read the Outliers book by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about the ten thousand hours mm-hmm. to be to be an expert at anything, you have to put in these ten thousand okay. hours and I just look back on that and it just like it just honed you know my appreciation for the work and Mm -hmm. the process of the work and
0: and although that has changed significantly like the print thing like you guys were in the uh, the desktop publishing like that was really starting to happen there and the thing
1: was I mean the web was starting and we were just not we were never we didn't get ahead of the web wave I mm -hmm. think if we had been more ahead of it Things would have been a little bit different, but as it was, you know, we had John Merton doing our site and we Mm -hmm. would like get him to, all we do is send him what we had in the paper and he would put it on the, on the web. Um, yeah, but I remember that was like, that was just taken off. We were still doing stuff like half new and half old. We would like lay it out in quark and then print the pages out and like Mm -hmm. tape them together and wax,
0: wax up the ads. And that's right. I remember that. You know, so it was this weird. It wasn't going to the printer fully digital. It was still like I remember you had the big flat yeah boxes We, and, we
1: like, straddled like technology and old school, and then then nine eleven happened too, and that took a that took a huge hit on advertising, and, oh, and, yeah. and it was really really significant for us. I mean, it was just a huge hit. Like a lot of these companies just stopped. Like all the momentum we had from like national beer companies and stuff and any any of that just kind of dried up wow so that was a that was a hit for us too
0: that's right so you guys had started to sell national ads in there yeah we the were getting net. there
1: um you know talk chat lines and and, and stuff like that um yeah but nine eleven. so it was it was it was timing was good in some things and timing was terrible in others but
0: it's still. It seems to me that like, I think previously there had only been that that level of circulation throttle, which was like many years earlier. Yeah, that there was something that wrote about arts and culture and you know music and whatever. Yeah, throttle and, yeah.
1: and caffeine was around before oh, yeah, yeah. before us, maybe even at the same time for some of it. But, um, yeah, there was there was like there was precedent for it, and it was.
0: Um, do you think that there's a sort of a legacy to the fact that it existed that is kind of still continuing that it maybe it did galvanize something in this town at one point and even though Punchline wasn't there anymore you got a bunch of people together that I think
1: so I mean I'd like to think so I mean I run into people all the time like totally randomly like I was getting a barbecue in the West End and mm-hmm. I gave this waitress my card and she was like oh hey Punchline I was like <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. That's that's ridiculous. And since that's, then, that's you've been 10 years you been
0: you wrote for the Times yeah. Dispatch and other stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, I worked uh yeah, I went to the Times Dispatch and um so I did freelance for them for a while and then I I got a full-time well, they gave feature another- writers gig and then they Yeah. Then it's- they tapped me to to come up with their alternative weekly which you know what was My that wife called? told me not to do it and I was like no I want to do it and then it was just a complete mistake. What was it called? It's called Brick. Brick, that's right. Which was like a weird thing. they actually like stuck us in the basement. They gave us this like basement space and um it was a weird thing where they were like okay we're going to give you all these resources but no you don't have that many resources and we want you to do this thing and and
0: we did it for a year and a half and then it was just wasn't were you not i mean now that this is coming back to me were you not as able to get that kind of will of the arts you know the the various people to like kind of help push it along because now you were kind of working for the man kind
1: of yeah i mean i mean i had a i had like a budget and i was able the thing that i liked is i was able to call up some people and i was able to like get some people some work you know Mm. some people that had done punchline stuff and like you know, Chris Boves had a column and mm. you know, I got Rob Ullman to do some illustrations and we got to find like, we got some of that again, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it was because it was coming from the Times Dispatch where people were like, okay, well I'm going to get paid, right? I can't just, right. it wasn't this like, let's put on a show right in our in garage, barn, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. And I also, it, it was like a hubris thing. I was mm. like, I can do it again. Mm-hmm. But I didn't give a shit about it mm-hmm. as much as I did the other time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my heart wasn't in it. I, you know, I had a new baby. You know, I was, like, not this person who was out, you know, in running scene, around at right. night in the scene. You know, so there was a part of me that was like, man, I'm completely faking this. Mm-hmm. And it was also, like, I didn't know what they wanted. I didn't know what I
0: wanted. So it was it was a... So you went from you're doing the thing purely from like passion basically with yeah, a bunch yeah. of other people who are doing it purely from passion but nobody has any clue how to do it professionally to doing it now knowing how to do it professionally you've done the 10,000 hours yeah basically and you know how to do it professionally but you don't have the <laughs> uh, yeah anymore. and it anymore
1: and it was also like and it was sort of working for a man or the man in a way that you had
0: there was some bullshit bureaucracy stuff Mm -hmm. that you had to go through what are those people like there anyway i mean we 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 all sort of have a times disgrace you know like this kind of attitude about the times dispatch like it and it's got a reputation for being ridiculously conservative and whatever but it was everybody that everybody that worked
1: there was awesome Mm -hmm. like the writers and everybody on the staff and even you know uh, most of the editors were, were really really cool people and i was really happy to be there and you know, and do what I did. But but as it gets higher, it was this thing where they were trying to make money. They were trying to figure out how to get a young demographic. They were trying to figure out
0: how to do uh,
1: how to do things really quick. And it was and even it if was, there is
0: a demographic, like, in yeah, this town, yeah. Even if it was, it was like worth, that, uh, appro- you know, worth targeting. Yeah, they yeah. weren't
1: they weren't so cool on like. Let's do it and take our time, and like mm-hmm. let it build, let it build an audience, or let it let it grow naturally. Um, you know they kept switching up people in charge. They kept
0: yeah. shuffling the deck. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was it was a it was a bureaucracy. They're very thing reactionary
0: because money is shrinking, so it's like okay, this guy is not getting okay. We're gonna switch it up, and then, so it's a constant like sea change. Yeah, over and over I again. mean, I,
1: I went downstairs. I don't know. It's, some people might remember but they were doing massive layoffs you know they escorted yeah. the executive editor out of the building and she'd been working there for 30 years Yeah, they like yeah. took her out they were like heads were rolling and mm-hmm. and there was like bad union stuff I remember Mark Holmberg quit or fi- was fired yeah too, he left know? and you know all these cool people were just getting like getting axed so I was in a way I was glad to be you know shuffled off into this other thing because right before I left I was you know I could feel the the tension growing upstairs and it was like uh, I gotta get out of here but the politics of it and the fact Mm -hmm. that they were losing money and they needed desperately to figure out ways to do stuff so everybody that worked there was very cool but the sort of the leadership and the direction of it was weird
0: and this is really at a time that this shit is just changing. It's oh just yeah. Like, it's they were they were the panicked. Singing.
1: They were completely panicked. Mm-hmm. I mean the internet had killed all the classified money.
0: And what year is this? Like 2000...
1: 2005 and six mm-hmm. seven, some somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, five, six and seven, somewhere around there. Um Yeah, they were they were just panicking. I mean we would go into meetings and it would be like okay everybody needs to be a multimedia reporter here's how to work uh, a video camera and you know wow. a recorder and i remember sitting there going you know i'm i'm a writer and and you want me to videotape stuff then what am i going to write about it for you know like why well, describe <laughs> it if <laughs> i just shoot it <laughs> right so it was all these weird weird directions they wanted to go but um well, let yeah, about it,
0: you as a writer here you didn't go to school for this you went to school to sculpture major yeah. how did that ha- like did you just find that you you know, you were writing comics originally and the, I remember your comics being pretty simple like well you know. yeah I mean I, I, I enjoyed writing in like junior high school and I, we would do
1: like they would do these things in English class where you'd have to write journal entries and I remember I would just try to write the funniest weirdest journal entry and they would always like I would always read mine to the class Mm -hmm. and I just remember like reading these silly stories I would write and people would laugh and I'm like man that's that's the way to go yeah that's awesome so I got really into that
0: did you ever do it where you could actually get that immediate like reaction like doing stand-up or anything like that or
1: no I mean I've always thought about it but I've just I don't know if I've ever had the I don't even know it's a confidence thing but it's just it's just never come up like if somebody mm-hmm. said okay you're gonna go you're gonna do stand up in a month be ready I, you know
0: I would probably do it but did you already know, always know the connection between stand up and writing like that these guys aren't just like naturally funny that they write this stuff like you've been writing all of this other stuff and work on it and- sort of I mean
1: I it was a, always a big fan of like the comedy stuff you know I listen to these podcasts all the time and they talk about you know people audio taping SNL skits and listening to them over and, and then over
0: memorizing again. them yeah <laughs> memorizing them
1: I and that that was that was really my life too I mean I identify with that like I love watching these silly shows and you know stand up specials and young comedian specials mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. thought those things were amazing
0: I had most of uh, Buddy Hackett's HBO special and, uh, yeah. and Bill Cosby himself memorized he used to do that like parties middle yeah. school.
1: <laughs> I love I mean I love that stuff. And there you know, there were times, you know, that I've like these concrete memories of being at a at a party or something and being in like this group of people. And you know when you're talking and you're telling a funny story and you're on this like riff and people are like hanging on your words and they're and they're laughing and mm-hmm. you just you get this rush.
0: So, but you didn't get that from writing you know, your no, columns and punchline, I, which were funny as shit and were really kind of amazing and intimidatingly good. I think.
1: Thanks. No, I, I, I got it afterward. I mean, when, I, when, when people would when people would laugh at them, you know, or I'd see them laugh or I'd or somebody would send something in and say something, I would get that. You know, it wasn't immediate, but that's sort of what kept me going, like, mm-hmm. every week, where I'm like, okay, I've, I've got an audience in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm writing to somebody, you know, whether that was like five people, or a hundred people, or, or so. In addition person.
0: to laying out that thing, you, I mean, I remember coming in there and just watching you and John Goldberg, and maybe what was that other guy with the glasses? that was there for a while uh, from Texas, George or? Huffman. George Huffman. Was yeah. he from Texas? Is that right? He was, yeah, yeah.
1: and then he went back.
0: And Just you guys staring at screens and moving mouses around, and yeah, I guess that was laying out stuff in Quark or building ads. Yeah, or that whatever. was the maddening part of it. So and you were doing all of that, <clears throat> plus you were writing the the editorial. You also, do we can we say that you were one of the other character yeah, at this point? Can we have the senior yeah, cranky? Yeah. So you were writing that. These are two columns, main columns, and do you write anything else at that point? Yeah,
1: I mean, we would just write filler, and we would just write whatever. You know, whatever needed to. You were
0: coming up with an space. ass load of content.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were. I mean, all we all stuff. were. And it was funny. I mean, we were all just like cranking that stuff out, mm-hmm. and it was fun. It was like, okay, let's let's try this. Let's, you know, that was the fun part. That was like yeah. the dream I always wanted to have, like the writers' room. Mm-hmm. You know, like this thing, like used, the Saturday like, Night Live, right? Or like the Larry <laughs> Sanders Show. <laughs> right, I right. watching that. Like, yeah, damn, I want to do that for a job. Just yeah. sit around a room and like think up funny stuff. And we got to do that for a while. But, yeah, the, I mean, the writing, the writing. It's the, just something
0: that turned out. So you had a knack for it, but it grew as a thing that you were doing for Punchline, just sort of.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I did it through I did it through college. I mean, I would take writing classes, and I would really like them. And I took some really good classes with, like, Tom DeHaven mm-hmm. and uh, Sherry Reynolds was another of my professors. And I got really good feedback from these people. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoyed doing it. So, um, you know, it was almost like a minor, you know, at some point Mm -hmm. I just got to the, when I got out of school, if with something like fine art, like sculpture, either you go to grad school and you get deep into the visual arts Mm -hmm. world or you don't, you know, (laughs) and I remember, you know, Joe Seipel was just like, you going to get your slides together. And I'm like. I guess, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to go to grad school somewhere and like, I wasn't a good builder, you know, I couldn't weld, I couldn't, I wasn't a carpenter. I would just, you know, I would even do like weird videos or I would slap junk sculptures together and do conceptual stuff. But
0: right. did so. you ever get much feedback on that stuff or like,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I guess it was well received and it was fun, but it was also like disposable. like. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was done with it, I didn't keep it around. It was yeah. like everybody tossed their stuff in the big sculpture dumpster and, like, you know, go on to the next one. But the writing just seemed to come a little bit, you know, a little bit easier. Seem more natural and seemed more practical, I guess.
0: I was always really amazed at the quality of, uh, of writing that you were capable of. I mean, I just... It was you know it was world class or national class anyway like i had been up in new york reading new york press and the village voice and it was every bit as good as Thanks. any of that stuff if not better in some respects because we weren't taking yourself anywhere near as seriously as yeah. those people it's, you talk about the feedback like that was what got me out of writing <laughs> <from, laughs> punch like is even though i intentionally i came in as like a I want to bring some of that New York stuff cuz I've been living up there and I wanted to kind of, you know, bring some of what I got turned onto yeah. up there. But I also wanted to bring that like I used to read these columns It would piss me off. Yeah. Like I'd be like that guy is such an asshole, you know, but I would keep reading them, So I was like I'm yeah. going to be that guy. I'm going to yeah, be yeah. that asshole. People are going to read it, but I had no idea they were actually going to not like me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I was going to go to some club, you know, have some guy come up to me and go, "You know, I, what you said about that band was bullshit, yeah. man." But they're reacting. I mean, they're still they're reading.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. they're engaging. So that's still good.
0: I didn't really. I, I wanted to be liked more than I thought. Yeah. At that time. But I also wanted to play in a band. I also wanted to get out from behind. You
1: wanted that. to have it both. That's <laughs> what you wanted to
0: do. I wanted to have it both ways. That's for sure. So where did the right after brick? What did you go? Where did you go after that with the? Well, in
1: between. I mean, in between punchline, I worked for a marketing company that wrote. Royal and Company. It's oh, like yeah. They do, like, marketing for high school. They do marketing for colleges. Was There's Ryan there? Too? Ryan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I got Ryan that job. Is he still? I've been getting him. I've been just, like, I'm not getting him jobs, but I was, like, I keep pulling these people along. Yeah. Like, like, I know and like, and I know what they're capable of. Um, but, yeah, I did that for, like, a year. And, but I, it got to me because it was sort of mechanical, doing different subject lines for emails. and uh, But then I went to the Times-Dispatch, and then after that, I got sort of let go at the Times-Dispatch, which was a pretty eye-opening thing just because I felt like... I got chewed up by this machine, but even then, I was only there for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine these people had been there for twenty years, like just being let go. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, it was you know, it was nothing, but for some of these people, it's the only job they'd ever known. Um, but after that, I went back to sort of the marketing writing, did a lot of freelance stuff, and,
0: and oh, you, yeah, know, you were <clears throat> you kept writing for the Times Dispatch in uh, like the in the Thursday thing, didn't you? Was I didn't, it after Brick? No, after
1: after Brick I was done with
0: no right Time's Dispatch. Okay.
1: Uh but I wrote for Richmond magazine. I would do some freelance for them. And uh I got some weird jobs. Like I would write for like US Airways magazine and
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> all These like weird little jobs. Like the In you Flight
1: know? magazine? Like the in flight <laughs> magazine mm-hmm. and you know I wrote for the American Bar Association Journal Mm-hmm. Like these trade magazines, which was like a really, you know, I just found that you could take your writing and and there were all sorts of places that needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, People
0: need copy, they need content. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I've been working for a catalog company for the last five years and still doing a lot That's of freelance sour, on the side. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So what's the freelance on the side you ever.
1: <clears throat> right for a, a collectible gun company. I've been doing that for like.
0: Six years. Do you have maybe. an interest in guns, or is it just something no, you... No, I never did,
1: but it was like, it, you know, it just, they needed someone, I needed some work, and then it turned out to be this, it was deep into history, and I get to write these, you know, long, romantic stories mm-hmm. about...
0: Like the cult Peacemaker? The Old like,
1: West, mm-hmm. and, you know, gangsters, and World War Two, and... So it's like I got to get deep into the history, but I've been writing for all these other places for like 10 years without putting my name on it, Mm -hmm. which is this weird sense of anonymity. Mm -hmm. You know, Um,
0: It's weird to think, like I, I only became aware like maybe last year that, yeah, even though publishing is kind of, I wouldn't say it's over, but it's greatly diminished and like whether or not you can get paid for that, do it. But there are all of these people that have these websites, the websites need words on them. Yeah. And less and less people can even string a decent sentence together, even for that crap oh yeah you know there's
1: always a need for (laughs) there's always a need for anybody that can write it's just it's not going to be necessarily journalism or it's not going to be short stories i mean you can write all those things but i mean if you think about now i mean, entertainment it's like how many tv channels are there how many you know reality shows or dramas are coming out Mm -hmm. Um, you know these just films i mean Mm -hmm. it's just these people are cranking out I mean, think about all these TV shows like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know, there's tons of stories that are being yeah, put out there. Yeah, people are
0: writing, and, and I think there's a weird disconnect, even in my psychology, that people are sitting around writing that stuff. Even yeah, they're just like making the, stuff up and they're getting paid for it. John Stewart and, and uh, Conan O'Brien and like all those guys, they have writers, like lots of writers yeah. writing that stuff. They're all, it's like 10 guys, maybe, I don't know how many people, like the staff... You know, it's not like he's just getting out there and being funny, he gets up, has his coffee and writes a bunch yeah. of crap on a cocktail napkin. It's like there's a major there's still a major industry out there. And you think about online, I mean you think about like the Amazon, the like the Kindle
1: shorts and the you know, there you read these stories all the time about people mm-hmm. becoming millionaires by selling these little niche mm-hmm. short stories or novels. Right. That that people download for ninety nine cents. Of Bray. You know? <laughs> so there's still it's just not the way we remember it, or it's mm-hmm. not the way that, you know, we thought about it before. <clears throat> the opportunities are out there like crazy, but.
0: So are you doing any, um, do you write any fiction or anything like that, or essays that you're collecting? I'm trying, I'm
1: trying, you know, it's a struggle. I mean, it's like every every day I wake up and I need to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like I write all day. Right. I just don't. You know, it's just not this.
0: It's like the carpenter whose house is down to the studs. Yeah, yeah. Home. I mean,
1: I sit in front of the computer all day and I write these things. And to come home and and think about sitting down and writing or getting up in the morning and writing, it's it's a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I I just don't want to sit in this chair like a Professor X for my the rest of my life just yeah. plugged into this <laughs> machine.
0: <clears throat> but you got a wife and you got this beautiful house, and you got kids and yeah. all that stuff requires money, and you don't have that freedom to just wing it, yeah, and I can't yeah. say
1: no to anything it's like you know I mean, anybody calls me up and says, "Oh, we got this, do you want to do this I'll be like, yes, you know, and I'll overload myself with stuff and um, but yeah, I'm always struggling to get that that creative stuff back,
0: what inspires you like um both past you know present and i'm gonna say future just because that's a cliche but like what's the kind of continuum like you start what, what were you reading before and what are you reading now and i um, taking in
1: i'm reading a lot of you know i'm trying to every once in a while i'll read something that'll just completely blow me away like what was
0: the last thing like
1: george saunders i don't know he wrote uh he wrote like a he wrote a book of essays called the brain dead megaphone and uh, stories. Like I read Pastoralia by him, which was amazing. Sam Lipsight, mm-hmm. who is this crazy, funny writer. But um, just these little books that I'll discover that are just, you know, that, that totally re they don't reinvent the way things are done, but they will be like two page humorous snippets, mm-hmm. you know, like even uh, Jack Handy. Mm-hmm. like jack handy's book the deep thoughts guy oh yeah his little stories mm-hmm. like he runs the new yorker like i'll read that stuff and i'll just it'll just my whole body will convulse like oh this is what i can do mm-hmm. this is what i should do um but like you said when you have these obligations or you have this like life that goes on it feels like an indulgence you mm-hmm. know just sitting down and writing these funny little stories like you know, and maybe that 's what I have to deprogram myself from is like' cause every time I sit down it 's like I start this clock mm-hmm. you know, I start my meter running every time I sit down, and i 've got to take myself back out of that
0: i've never got as far into doing creative stuff as you did because i was lazy and undisciplined, and I would <laughs> rather be like partying or chasing <laughs> women or whatever <laughs> um but th- to the degree that I fought that battle like you know, you get into a routine of, like, a job that's paying the bills, and there's not any shame in that. It's not like you lost. You're like, this is really, imp- like, you know. I, I mean, it's comforting. It's important. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I have this thing. I have this relationship. There's nothing wrong with all of that kind of stuff. And and, and what's missing, I think, also is, like, what's the motivation? Like, yeah. I'm not railing against anything. I'm also yeah. not trying to – there are plenty of people celebrating stuff out there. Like, what what voice needs to be brought to this chorus anyway? I mean, what what had punchline had was that we had the impression in this group of people who got involved with that that we were somehow being kept down yeah. by this vanilla kind of like oh, yeah. you know pick a unish attitude that that was in Richmond and God knows why it is we're in the middle of the East Coast between ninety five I mean between New York and Atlanta on ninety five it's a straight shot yeah like geographically not isolated, but even less isolated now. But there's this sense that, like, nobody cares. Nobody wants that. In fact, they're going to stop you from doing that, which is probably not true. But for some reason, we thought that and we worked really hard to sort of – we were crusading or something. And
1: culture was different, too. I mean, it was like – you know, I walk around completely amazed at, you know, the stuff that's happening in Richmond now, you know. Mm every the cool little restaurant or little shop or business, you know, it's, it's almost like everybody has their stuff together in ways that,
0: you know, didn't seem as possible. What do you think that's about? Do you think that's the day and age or do you think this is a different group of people that are coming into this town? Like, you know, what it used to be, it's like Northern Virginia and Virginia beach, like yourself. And it was, you know, are we getting a, a greater pool of
1: I think it's just the connection. I mean, I think it's like um, I don't want to say social media, but it's just the 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 sort of exchange of ideas is faster Mm -hmm. and it's more uh, robust than it was before. You know, like the idea of doing something like people are more inclined to collaborate a little bit or. I don't know they just they just see something and it seems possible maybe it's the generation that's coming up. I don't know um,
0: it seems to me that there's a different i mean v c u has in it's growing initially it was like I had a problem with that because of course they take away the c d heart of Richmond that was like our little haight Asbury over there the the gray yeah. street area they just they had it in for that section and they wiped it out. And became this, and, and even seems like a downsized, the the funky, eccentric art school that they had. And they built it into this just regular kind of state school, yeah. urban university. But they brought all these people to this town that are just, seem to me, oblivious to the stuff that we thought was a big issue, a yeah. big <laughs> struggle. And they're just, yeah, eh, I mean, it's they just, just a nice place.
1: Yeah, they you just know? ignore it. I mean, maybe they just don't come with the baggage. They don't come with... Maybe they don't come with the idea that they have to fight against anything, and they're just like, you know, they're going to do it because mm-hmm. there's some stuff going on that's just amazing. I mean, yeah. and I'm not even talking about like bigger scale things. I mean, what's the number of, of ho- number of house parties? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass here, mm-hmm. but there's like there are regular shows, you mm-hmm. know, people have at their houses, and they they do these 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 move. Uh, there's movements. There's like mm-hmm. stuff like. Slaughterama, or mm-hmm. these weird events that just happen.
0: There's all the, the gardening stuff that's going on too, and yeah, uh, people are getting organized. And there's not that apathy. I think, even though we still try to think of Richmond as the Velvet Coffin, where you can come back here and just you know pay cheap rent and drink and not really do anything else. That the, doesn't.
1: Everybody likes to hang out together too. You know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe everybody's just got friendlier. Mm-hmm. You know, but it seems like if there was something going on and there were like 50 people. That 51st person will be like, fuck that. I'm not joining in, mm-hmm. in those games. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to play along. I'm going to do my own thing. But it seems like everybody's like, you know, let's do this big thing. And everybody gets along. And again, I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass. Well, I agree. I don't, I, mean,
0: I, I don't know what I base. I, I, I've i been gone for four years, and I've been back here for six months. And I can, you know, I drive through the city, and I feel a different attitude you know go yeah. like go around i'm around vcu there just isn't this weird kind of resentment or thing going on it's just people are living in a city like i've seen them live in other cities and yeah. it, i've always wondered when that was going to happen here because i, I yeah. grew up in churchill and ran around the fan and it just seemed like nobody wanted any part of this urban area yeah we had you know and which All
1: was a sudden it's here yeah just kind of grew up around you,
0: and maybe it's also just like it's too expensive to live any place else that nearby that's got that stuff yeah you know and and Richmond has in its slow ass pace to change it's held on to some cool stuff, like you know you go further south and Charlotte has just demolished everything and built brand new crap, and yeah we still got all these awesome old buildings, you know it's all this weird history here that's just kind of it's almost like Roman ruins, yeah. <laughs> You know. But I
1: think you get. I think you also have these waves of people coming through, like I said, who don't have that history or don't know, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that came before, or you know, you know what certain areas are are known for. You know, things are changing because we're getting old. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I got more gray in my beard than I have like anything else.
0: Yeah, I was sitting there with Tommy Van Auken yesterday, and I was like, and we're approaching middle age, and he's like, you're admittedly yeah <laughs> how old do you think you're gonna get that is a hard thing to accept but uh at the same time like i i like this perspective that you know we're not as divorced from like pop culture or what's going on as like our parents yeah were and we can sort of sit back with a little bit of a you know we've got a, a more refined uh, like taste you know take on what's going on we've seen yeah. some of this stuff as a cycle like you know oh here come the you know pumas again or who here comes this thing again you know yeah. what's you could you could quickly get past the stuff that's just a fad and see the the good stuff yeah. that's running through there. And there really is there is a continuum of good stuff going on in this country and people have a tendency to say, Oh, Americans are this, Americans are that but we we're Americans and we've yeah. been Americans all this time. Yeah, there's a person that you like to point the finger at, the fat, you know, tourist character, you know, the clueless, you know, Walmart shopper, but yeah. they are only one segment of the population. We got lots of other yeah, stuff there's plenty of stuff here. to
1: be excited about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still a fan of stuff, and I I try to remind myself to be, you know, enthusiastic about stuff. I don't want to be the old, cynical dude. I mean, I, I'm into music now more than I probably have ever been. You yeah. Know, I'm like, I'm always going after new stuff and looking for What are you listening new. to right now? <clears throat> I listen to everything and anything. I just
0: quick like what's in the you know what's what was the most recent thing you were listening to on the what is so that, we're just playing the new mostly?
1: kanye today
0: oh yeah is that good
1: uh it's a little <laughs> bit of some of it is i mean you know i'll find some good songs but um but I, you know i'm just going back and getting all the stuff that i didn't listen to before you know just downloaded like descendants Mm-hmm. oh yeah old punk i found mm-hmm. like this i found like this uh Mixed CD compilation online Of female fronted punk and It's like 120 songs wow. It's from like 70s and 80s From all over the world And I'm like Just devouring this mm-hmm. stuff And again It's because of the You know You can find it on the internet mm-hmm. It's more available And you can You know Go to Google Music And you can Follow the links mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know If you like this artist You like this artist yeah, you, you can you totally a hole things. with that Yeah you get You get Lost, and it's like uh, it's how you discover stuff. Mm-hmm. You get to play around.
0: It does seem like we're going. We were more cynical and more jaded in our twenties than yeah. we are now. Like I'm way more into stuff and have yeah. more positive attitude.
1: Yeah, I was totally cynical. I was hated everything. You know, I still hate a lot of stuff, but it's just like I don't even I don't even take the effort to hate it i don't mm-hmm. put the energy out there to hate it i just don't listen to it mm-hmm. you know just so much bad tv that
0: mm-hmm. yeah just don't feed any energy that way like just let it just, just ignore it i mean yeah.
1: like like i don't let it under my skin I, you know i have a really hard time with social media i mean mm-hmm. it's like i gotta turn that stuff off every once in a while because you just consume so much oh my god i got i call myself last
0: night just going through instagram facebook twitter snapchat just going through it like looking for something i don't know what the fuck i was you, looking yeah, you for don't I was looking know at the what you're looking shit. for like a, <laughs> you're looking for a buzz you're looking mm-hmm. for some Somebody sort to pay of rush. attention to me or something to get excited about or whatever like and then i started getting irritated at the person whose post i'd read now three or four times right and I'm like they only posted it once. Right. <laughs> I've gone back to it. It's still just this post about this. And that's
1: what happened. And I do. I'll do that for like two months, and then I won't. E- I won't even post anything. So I'm just this like observer. I'm this mm-hmm. loiterer online. I'm not hardly interacting mm-hmm. with anything.
0: What do they call that? It's not a troll. Uh, it's like the, the leecher, right? Like yeah. in the BitTorrents and all that stuff. You just take. What yeah, you you're just give. poking around mm-hmm.
1: and peeping around and. Uh, absorbing and consuming and it's just
0: Do you online. pay for the stuff that you get online or you I mean now you can listen to so much stuff streaming like Spotify and Pandora Yeah I do and a little bit like of both that. I mean I signed up for that new
1: Google thing but I had mm-hmm. E-Music for a long time and I'll go out and I'll just buy like Goodwill CDs and rip them and you know but it's a little bit of both like I don't mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll still you know BitTorrent every once in a while but but, again, that gets to the point where you're like, how much music can you have? How mm-hmm. much music can you listen to? Because
0: I'll go through it and I'll be like, I've got six albums
1: I haven't even listened right. to that <clears throat>
0: I thought I wanted. And that's... Just because you read, somebody said something about it or you found something interesting. Yeah. But that takes out, like... The organic process of discovering a band where it's all like personal, it's associated with something that's happening, some, you know, some scenes and whatever. That's what makes even something like, you know, Nevermind or something be a big thing because it was like a shared cultural moment. But somebody like just, you have so much access to music writers and all this stuff saying, hey, you should listen to Animal Collective. So I go get all this Animal yeah. Collective crap, and then it comes on, on my iPad. I'm like,
1: what the fuck is this? Yeah, that's horrible. Like, but they say I should listen to it, so <laughs> <clears throat> what's wrong with me if I don't like this? So, yeah, i got to cut out that noise sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know?
0: At the same time, it's never been easier for people to just put their shit out there yeah like look at me i'm like I, I got this little crap i bought on you know craigslist this little podcast that was 80 dollars. this laptop was 80 bucks i got some mic stands and the rest of this costs almost nothing yeah like and so i can just you know there's nothing stopping me except apathy and laziness from but that's absolutely to the get way get to, hired anywhere I yeah can just yeah do my own thing it's absolutely the way to do it you know i remember you were saying like
1: before you launched your first one you're like i'm just going to do it Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be pretty when it starts, but I'm just going to do it. And mm-hmm. that's the only way to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't wait for per, for perfection because that's yeah. never going to come.
0: That stopped me from doing so many things that, like, I wasn't, you know, willing to. I wanted it to be perfect right when it came out. I didn't want to develop it, especially, you know. And at least with Punchline, that was actually the first time in my life that I actually just committed to putting something out there. That yeah. I just like, I got over the fear of like. Oh, somebody's gonna think it's stupid or somebody's gonna think I can't write or whatever. And I'm just gonna say, you know what, fuck that. You yeah, know? I'm just gonna I gotta start just somewhere, putting yeah. it out there. And then, you know, applied that same thing to playing in a band and all of that. But for me the problem is is that once I get over having that thrill of like, Okay, now I've crossed this thing that I didn't think I was ever gonna cross, it kinda loses interest to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: you just gotta <laughs> figure out ways to keep challenging yourself mm-hmm. and figure out what you love about it. You know. Because that's it. Getting back to it is like, you know, I, I feel like these things are indulgent because if I write a funny short story that I just, whatever, if I post it online and I make someone laugh, I, you got to go back and figure out that the, the reward is in the process of writing it. Mm-hmm. You can't look for this product at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, for you doing this, the reward has to be, Calling up people that you haven't talked to in a while mm-hmm. or people you want to know better and having a conversation. hmm You know, whether this uh machine wasn't even recording at all for some reason. It's you, I was thinking about a reward, is, is it an excuse of that.
0: for you to let me in your house and exactly. lots of other people like that's, otherwise we don't just go over and hang out with people's houses. And that's the anymore. best part about
1: yeah. when you know, when you're a journalist mm-hmm. is like, oh, I'm gonna write a story about uh, the the SWAT team so I can ride with the SWAT team you know mm-hmm. it's like the the process of, of researching and writing and you know like other people that you talk to like Tommy Van Auken or <clears throat> or Greta it's like these people that create art you know that they, they have to be passionate about the thing that they're doing you know Tommy spends hours and hours and hours painting if he if he hated painting That'd be a horrible existence. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it would. Yeah, shut. He really, and
0: that's something he, you know, that came up, and this was just yesterday that I was talking to him that it, the process is the thing. Yeah, and like I always like kind of was like, oh, you paint naked girls, like that's a you know a visceral thrill, but you got to sit there to the point where it's not that interesting to be looking at this naked person. Yeah. On, on the one hand, because right. it takes a while to do a painting. On the other hand, if it is interesting, you've got to sit there and just be painting you know and it's it's the process the tension all of that and that is a thing that like theoretically like i love the idea that these buddhist monks will make these sand mandalas like they spend all this time just being really focused on this excruciatingly detailed stuff this colored sand and there's like four of them crawling around in the ground and they make this unbelievable thing that's really beautiful and, and intricate and when it's finished they destroy it yeah you know, because that's not the point. Yep. Nothing's going to last forever. You know, and that's what I love about the digital thing is, I mean, this stuff is just, it's the same zeros and ones getting turned into different shit all the time. Yeah. It's recycling. Yeah. You know, and that's, I don't feel that bad about taking music off the internet because I didn't take anything. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't remove, a, that's my computer. Yeah. I just changed the zeros and ones around. I'm for, just holding it for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, I didn't like if you steal something that means somebody else can't get it anymore like yeah. it's been removed you put some money into creating something and now it's gone and you can't sell it no you still have the exact amount that you started with yeah you know i just put it over here so i could listen to it for a while yeah but i mean if i really like it i'm gonna go see you i'm gonna pay to see you play a show yeah. maybe i'll buy a t-shirt that queens of stone age is the only band that i have really been willing to spend the money on because i want to encourage them i know i could get that record for free easily i got the vinyl for free but i want to encourage them to keep doing what they're doing yeah so then it comes down to that like being a patron of the art like get the commercial thing out of it because for years and years it's just people in this intermediary role like making shitloads of money off of publishing yeah whether it's a paper or you know art or um records they're making a thing that is n- necessary yeah for that and i got totally got that's gone yeah. yeah
1: that's gone and now it's to the people that that are directly making that work but i mean the process is 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 key man if you don't because that's i mean that's another problem with she's not bothering
0: me this dog with okay that she's that's, licking that's your fine. knee completely <laughs> hairless she's cleaning my left leg up real nicely
1: yeah. the uh I mean, I see the problem with online is like everybody is putting something out for an audience, Mm -hmm. even Facebook, where it's like, you know, when you put a status update, like I am in L.A.X., Mm -hmm. you're doing that for a reason. (laughs) You know, you're you're telling everybody that, hey, I'm in L.A.X.
0: Right. I'm getting on a plane, you know, or when you 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 know, you're not going to. You know what, I, what do you like, see when you see that? Do you see, oh, that's nice, they're on a, on a vacation, or do you see it as like, I need a lot of attention, or like, I really want you to know that my life doesn't suck because I'm not convinced my life doesn't suck. Well, I see what, what happens is I start thinking
1: those things, and it prevents me from posting anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because, same here. because,
0: yeah, there's if some jerk off like me <clears throat> out there judging right.
1: me for like, <laughs> yeah, if I, I mean if I'm doing something fun or interesting. My, I have an instinct to post it. But then I stop and ask myself, w- okay, why? Mm-hmm. Why do I need to tell everybody about this? Is it because I want them to think that I'm interesting? Is it because I want them to want to do what I'm doing? You know, what is the reason? And mm-hmm. I can't ever find a reason mm-hmm. to do that.
0: But don't, I mean, I do enjoy seeing some people's stuff like that. Like Chris Basia was posting pictures of the Apostle Islands, which are up in Lake Superior. Unknown to most people around yeah. here, and they're uh, really beautiful and amazing.
1: I, you you know, know, I love, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I'm a hypocrite because I love, you know, looking at some of this stuff and I like the sense of being engaged. So you know, that's another thought is like, okay, well, people who I am genuinely connected to might want to know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, maybe they don't have these like weird, paranoid. You know, overly critical analytical thoughts about the internal the editor, as they call it in the right. artist's way. They're just like, "Hey, I'm fucking <laughs> on vacation. Here's a picture. Mm-hmm. You know, so to let my friends and family know
0: what's up." But I, you know, but there's definitely, yeah, and I mean. I see more and and because I, I know what was motivating me when I was going crazy with that stuff. Like I, I've yeah. never posted more shit than when I went through a breakup, and I was like, everybody yeah. knows that I don't have a girlfriend anymore, and she broke up with me, so now I need to show them how awesome my life yeah. is, and like yeah. this is who I'm dating now, and this is where I'm going, and see, it's okay. Yeah. And if and if I really felt that way, it wouldn't I wouldn't feel the need to broadcast it to the imaginary? Yeah. I mean, I had a thousand friends on Facebook. I don't know who the f- I'm actually yeah. thinking about. When I'm putting that stuff up there. You like, just need some, like, reassurance. <laughs> you just want,
1: like, feedback. You want it to be, like, okay. But then you start getting dependent on that. Mm-hmm. Do you really just get
0: that like? five likes? You know, it's my birthday, and I, I have yeah. all these friends, and like got 20 people said happy birthday? Yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's a weird fucking layer of, of obligation, you know? Sometimes I'll see someone's name pop up, it's their birthday, and I'll forget,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I'll feel guilty. Like, oh, I should have wished them happy birthday. That person is not thinking about me. Mm-mm. That person does not know that I forgot to post. I for be some reason, I've got this anxiety.
0: I'm looking at it going, do I give enough of a shit about yeah. this person to tell them happy birthday? Um, and if, and then I'm like, well, if I don't, then why in the hell am I friends with them right? like on yeah. Facebook? Like, oh, it's, yeah, I don't, what am I going to say? Yeah, happy and birthday. You set up all <laughs> these weird rules. Like, if I
1: saw this person in person, would I say hello? <laughs> or would, you know, or would we just look at each other like I think I know you on Facebook. It's just a weird it's but it's just another reason, it's another pr- way that people skip right to the product mm-hmm. rather than the process. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like Instagram even. Mm-hmm. It's it's snapping photos to get feedback from other people mm-hmm. about your cool photo. Mm-hmm. I don't think the people that are snapping on Instagram or a majority of them are like interested in composition and you know the art of photography Mm -hmm. you know they're just they're poking people it's an even more
0: like like distilled version of what goes on on facebook just with pictures like i'm just gonna it's i mean it really is a ridiculously compulsive thing and there's a lot of pathology i think behind it for us i mean in what it strikes me is what the, one of the things that a lot of Richmonders had when we were in college and, and shortly after is insecurity. Yeah. Like we don't actually think that we are, our voice is valid or we're – because we could have been doing stuff. And stuff had been done here before. Like, you know, I mean, you know, the minor threat thing out of D.C. and Discord and all that stuff, those guys had nothing. They didn't even have this easy junk that we yeah. do now. And they were totally motivated and did all this stuff. But we were insecure and apathetic. In this town. There's tons of talent, but everybody's just sitting around a bar, like, you know, gossiping. Now you can see immediately what everybody else is doing.
1: So, you know, (laughs) so now we're insecure, apathetic and like anxious, like Mm -hmm. we're not doing enough.
0: Yeah. You know, but then, you know, I guess this is eroding for me. I mean, listening to people talk like this on other podcasts has made me realize how little, how much, how unexceptional it is to decide to start writing or to start yeah. do making art and how it's not about the imagined the delusional future of it. It's about, you know, just getting into something. Yeah. And if you don't then you've spent your whole life just doing something for someone else to yeah. make someone else rich. It's not even that good kind of service where like you're helping someone. It's just this total transaction. You know, yeah. they had enough of their of confidence or whatever to yeah. go out there and create the thing. But for whatever reason you're just not doing that and i mean that's what's driving me now is like i mean i'm i'm gonna be broke soon right you know but i don't want to spend the rest of my life like worried about the money when and like i've already seen so much of it pass by where i'm like okay i'm gonna go to work today and then later on maybe i'll practice guitar or yeah. maybe i'll do this thing and then suddenly it's like a year it's two years it's three it's e- i mean as yeah. life
1: gets easier it's harder to like you know fill your soul i mean it's You know, I've quit a couple of really good jobs that were like, I could have been comfortable, but Mm -hmm. it was just like, man, this is, it's like banging my head against the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, And even now it's like, I'm, I'm in this track and, and, you know, I think, how did this, you know, I became an accidental, you know, marketing guy. How, how did that happen? And Mm -hmm. then do I want to be that, you know? So it's easy when, when things are easy it gets harder
0: to, yeah. to sort of find that. And what was that motivation? What was that spark? Like, okay, so I know now after my trajectory over the last few years that the last thing that I should be motivating me is a desire for aggrandizement or, or grandiosity or whatever, which was totally what drove me yeah. to go to New York. Um, I mean, I was completely fueled by either wanting to be that kind of person or hating on the people that seemed to be getting it when it was supposed to be happening. Like looking for, for the me. big time, looking yeah. for the
1: big action
0: and, and like for me it wasn't money it was like being elevated to some kind of like inner circle like yeah. the, you know the Algonquin round table whatever the f- you know you imagine that that winner circle of, of cultural re- relevancy yeah. is and like wanting to be there and, and wanting to be affirmed by my placement there, I wanted to be recognized, all that kind of shit. Yeah. I mean like I went to New York to get pat- to get past the velvet ropes. Yeah. Like I just I wanted to be let in. I wanted to be satisfied myself that I will not be one of those douchebags waiting outside while everybody else is but in there's the there's so many people trying to get to the velvet ropes too, you know. It's <laughs> like And then you, but you think
1: about the people that are on the other side. You know, I think about this all the time. Is the people think about the people that you really really respect. They're not thinking this way, you know. They're not thinking that. They're doing that thing that they love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just
0: happens around them.
1: Yeah, they're it's and you know, if you want to get Buddhist on it, it's just like it's this sort of the right path. Mm-hmm. They're on the right path. The
0: right thinking, right acting. Right. They're mm-hmm. not.
1: They're not concerned with, you know, what others are thinking, what others are doing. You know, they're on their own little noble path. Plus, If,
0: if you're doing what you're doing, and and so I didn't get to the if grandiosity you know and needing this ego affirmation if you're driven by ego stuff you're never going to be satisfied it's never you're never going to get that quenched yeah. like you know even if you're making art that should be fulfilling for some reason if all you're worried about is whether or not you're selling your art or if other people appreciate your art you're just going to be tortured yeah the whole time but if you get into the headspace that like this is my contribution yeah you know and, and lately i've just kind of said that like you know, you grow up with that idea. You've got this gift, you know? And my selfishness, I always thought, like, oh, that meant that's my present right, from, you know, God or, or right. whatever. And it's for me. Yeah. And I was talking to somebody else about that. And I was like, it just dawned on me that maybe it's, like, the thing I'm supposed to be giving yeah. to the world. Yeah. And it's just, like, that's – I just need to recognize that and put that out there. And they're like, yeah, well, that's always how I thought of it. Like, yeah. you just came to that. like. But <laughs> well,
1: and uh, to jump – even to jump back –
0: I don't know how long we we're running. Uh, you we, know. It doesn't matter. It was, we're only we're at like a little over an hour The going back to the two hours with Randy yeah. Robinson, I can <laughs>
1: <laughs> going back to the time when when you were talking about the writing and the pun- and the punchline stuff <clears throat> and the caliber of stuff and the compliment you paid me, which was very nice. The reason that I think I wrote like that is because at that time I had to, didn't. I had found a sort of my own voice Mm -hmm. and I got there through a process that was not end result driven. Mm -hmm. Like I lived in a shitty broad street apartment with a friend of mine and we had a house full of video equipment, painting canvases, old toys, old video games. And I had like a table and an old typewriter and I would Mm -hmm. wait tables at night. I would get up in the morning I would make some crappy coffee, and I would sit there, and I would just type. And I would I would type them and pull the pages out, stamp the date on them, and put them in a pile. And I would just, like, write stories. I would write, you know, silly scenes. But I remember that as this time where it was just, like, all about the process. Mm-hmm. And the more I did that, the more I wanted to
0: you do. You actually that. fetishized almost the fingers on the keys oh, yeah. and, like, handling the paper and all of that. It was right?
1: amazing. And I mm-hmm. still go, think about it today as, like, this ideal that... To try to get back to. But that once you do that and you find out who you are and what you can do, then then all this other stuff on the outside doesn't, you know, doesn't matter as much. So
0: and I was so far from there when I got came back to Punchline. It was all about promoting and being like I wanted to just be in the middle of the thing. Yeah. You know, and like I I wanted to I mean I legitimately gave a shit about elevating like Richmond you know I wanted people here to know about stuff that it wasn't that easy to find out about and I and I did want people to I guess to some degree I wanted to celebrate certain Richmond bands but I was pretty mean to a lot of them yeah. but it, I wasn't I was totally coming from an ego thing Yeah, like I would just all I wanted was to be part of the crew I wanted to be part of the scene I spent way more time like out at the bar drinking and like soaking the thing up than, yeah. than I did doing the writing like you know I'd sit down do the writing and and then just send it off to you guys and hope somebody felt like editing it. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you just get caught up
1: in the, the trappings of of the thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I always try to remind myself, like the people that are really good at what they do, that's all they do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, it's a t- horrible example, and I always bring this up, like Tiger Woods, it's like, that guy shoots the shit out of golf balls all the time, are yeah. these people these tennis players? They play tennis all the fucking time.
0: You know mm-hmm. they don't like, but they have this for whatever reason. They're obsessed with that shit. I don't think that they're like doing. They're they're putting their effort into something they don't want to do. Oh no, and they like, love they doing. Really want to hit those golf. But balls that's with.
1: all. They, but, but that's all they do. So yeah. it's like to think that oh, I can, I can be a part of something, and I can go party every night. And then I'll work in the writing, or right. I'll work in the music. I'm going to be a like I'm just right. going to be
0: like Mozart. You know, it's just going to emerge from me. And it just never works
1: that way, right. you know. And realizing that, and, then, and the whole ego part about it is huge, you know. Just getting humble and just saying like, because you just don't, you don't, you stop believing your own bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. And once you get to that point where you're like, you know, you just get humble about stuff.
0: Yeah, and humi- humility is uh, you know an under- misunderstood kind of thing to aim for. It's like it's not that I'm less than anybody else. It's not like I, I I've accepted the fact that I'm just uh, a peasant or a prole. It's yeah. that I have every bit of the same amount of a right to exist to do my shit to like put my stuff out there to live to to enjoy life yeah. to succeed as anybody does yeah i it's it's the, exactly the right size yeah. it's like not too much not too little i'm just another person you know and the just is is like misleading it's not yeah. just another person i'm wow i'm a person yeah. that's kind of amazing it's it's kind of amazing i'm alive and i yeah. can do something, you know, and, th- and this will never be done by me again. Yeah. Maybe it's been done, but, you know, it hasn't been done by me. Yeah. You know, jo- Josh Homme, like, inspired me with that years ago because he quit playing music after Caius for a while and was like Iggy Pop's already done it, you know. And yeah. then he, it dawned on him it hadn't been done by him. And that's a th- there's no yeah. way to make it exactly the same thing, even if you wanted to, you know. Yeah, he, <laughs> Iggy Pop's already done it, and all
1: he's thinking, when he said that, I guess, is like, where am I going to fit in in like the history books? You know, mm-hmm. where am I going to fit in and in, in what everybody else thinks? They're going to say, "Oh, Iggy Pop already did that," but doing your own thing. I mean, do following your own your own call. I guess
0: um, there's not, and there isn't a high. People give lip service to that in little art classes and stuff like that, but it isn't a cultural value. We claim to be about individuality, yeah. but we only – in so much as you have to pick a market to belong to yeah. so people can sell you stuff. Yeah. And, we, and we're so rebellious, but you go all over the country and people are rebelling the same way, the rebels in yeah. – every little town look the same yeah they've got the same freaking beers they got the same glasses yeah. they're riding the same bikes so that means that they are every bit as much of a you know they're rebelling against something so that means it's their context yeah. so they're in the exact same context everywhere they are they're still trapped yeah. in that they've just picked a different you yeah, know it's not even rebelling it's
1: just like fashion now it's just yeah. like they're just following trends you know it's it's I mean, the consumer the consumer culture of everything is i don't know it's just it's
0: you got to wonder at what us, point man. did we decide in this free country that we were being oppressed like where does that come from that like i don't think we're really like are being <laughs> have been yeah. oppressed like i mean people bitch about stuff like the how things are being represented in movies which is entertainment yeah. you know like I was listening to somebody complaining about Johnny Depp playing Tonto and this Indian stereotype and I'm like it's just a stupid movie yeah it's a story
1: it's make believe I
0: don't nobody's bitching about Joe Dirt and like that's one of the worst stereotypes ever but like who cares I mean this right we feel entitled to be represented in pop culture the way that we want to be represented we have something to identify with there yeah and that's like what that's a form of oppression if you're not Showing me like, oh, thank God, there's Richard Linkletter and he made slackers, so we have a, we have a presence. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's crazy
1: though that like, you know, you see these commercials and going back to like consumerism again, but you see these commercials where they're like, the cable company is like, oh, this is so great, you get to start watching this show in your living room and then you can watch it on your phone and then you can take it on your (laughs) tablet to the beach and I'm like, what the fuck are people are just they're consuming entertainment. They're consuming stuff like, like calories, like mm-hmm. foods. So everybody's getting, like, obese. And then they're getting, like, this head full of just shit, mm-hmm. you know. But they always have to be consuming. My 16-year-old stepdaughter never puts her phone down. You know, she's playing games or she's looking at Pinterest or, you know, she's chatting with a friend. She's connected to it. and And all these young kids are. And they have everything... They ever wanted at their at their fingertips, but it's like all we're doing is like,
0: well, and it we're is a eating, kind of eating, an, eating. Uh, opiate. I mean, a friend of mine was just talking about this last night, and I sure as hell know it to be true. That you get into that beta wave state of looking at a TV, and a part of your brain goes to sleep, and it's a it's a nice release. and yeah. you can have the semblance of having an experience without any of the inconveniences, any of the messy stuff that yeah. goes along with that. You can just like. You know voyeuristically you know virtual reality kind of go there but you get to also you don't have to sweat or get dirty or yeah. possibly face being killed or injured or anything like that yeah. and and it just kind of very surreptitiously and subtly is you know becomes a an adequate replacement yeah. for these things yeah and then so i find myself actually out in nature like camping and i'm like this is way different than yeah. when i'm watching this on television yeah. Like, there's stuff getting to me. I can't even pinpoint yeah. what it is I'm picking up, you know. But yet we were, and I think it's because we're afraid. I mean, that that nine eleven thing, I mean, that scared the shit out of us. Yeah. Like, that really, we were cocky and oblivious. But I think we're still time.
1: oblivious. I think we're even more oblivious. It's like, we don't even want to know about it. It's like,
0: you know. We don't want to know, but we have this vague fear behind not wanting to know whereas then that wasn't there the yeah. vague fear that something like that could happen that wasn't in our consciousness we didn't want to know and we were you know like, yeah didn't give a fuck or whatever and we wanted to go along but and it was all just kind of like yeah because i'm american because i'm fat and happy and yeah. who cares and that's not my problem that's those crazy countries over there and then this shit happens we try to go back to that attitude but Underneath it, we know there's some fucked up stuff going on out there. What is really separating me from being one of those people that's hauled out into a crowd of people and, like, ripped apart, stoned, or shot? The only thing
1: (laughs) standing between you and that is there's too much stuff on TV to watch. (laughs) That's right. Nobody's going to get out of their chairs, man. Nobody's going to, like...
0: Thank God, cell phones are cheap because I think a lot of those kids that used to be out there fucking up because they were bored, they're just like eh, like. Staring but maybe at they should fuck
1: up and be bored, you know? It's like they should be out there. I just thank God the internet I know, wasn't you around. Are was delinquents
0: in... that are not stealing bikes as much, or like... I'm still getting my bike stolen?
1: <laughs> but I mean, they should be out there. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is a whole new generation that's
0: just going to be like duck to this like matrix there is know, a, I mean, umbilical cord it is kind of i mean we've been optimistic about it but i can and i feel generally optimistic about it i don't ever look at this like oh something some point of no return thing is happening to our culture and we're gonna be we're gonna find ourselves living in that pink crazy pink floyd you know scary gray bureaucracy i see it as every so often we have to get be aware that it's drifting a little too far. I don't, yeah, in Yeah, but I direction. think it's
1: – I think I, I'm I am sort of pessimistic about the whole thing. I think yeah. have you seen Wally?
0: Yes. Uh-huh. You know those fat people that right. float around,
1: in this—that's what we're going to be. We're going to be but these people who there don't there to get tell up. Tell
0: us that we might be that, and then we go, "Oh, I don't want to be that." So let me do something about that. Like I don't want, you know, it, there. We're not all gonna end up in those easy chairs sucking down big gulps because we find that undesirable. And the people who don't care, they're yeah. just gonna let themselves. So they they do. But yeah, you know, Greta was talking about this. Like she kind of feels like it. You know, we missed an opportunity. And I'm like, it's it's still happening. We're we're still talking about it. We're still going. I don't want when somebody creates that dystopian image for us to look at. We go, well, I don't want that. So we work away from it. We work towards what we. But the thing is, it's always going to be there because
1: if you look back, I was thinking about this the other day. It's all it's all connected to greed, mm-hmm. you know. It's all connected to people taking advantage, like you were saying. How can we? Why Why do we think we live in a suppressed country? You know, because if you follow this this string of, uh, you know, lowest class to high upper class to one percent, those one percent. They want to hold on to their money, mm-hmm. just as much as like you want to hold on to the money in your bank account. Mm-hmm. And if someone tried to take that from you, you
0: know, I would I would get creative in stopping that, you know. Right? And am I a sinister or evil person when I do that? And it's it, no, I'm just selfish. Like, yeah. I'm just worried about myself, right?
1: I mean, there's no, there are no. The thing is, there are no adults in charge. Mm. That's what you realize the older that you get, right? You know, because. You think people have it figured out, but then you hear these stories of, all the time about, you know, people in in Washington are fucking up. These these heads of businesses are,
0: are embezzling or are doing things wrong. And they're and, not, you not know, guys like Bernie Madoff, you know he probably didn't set out to fuck over a bunch no, of people. He just kept fucking up. And gets, yeah, these people aren't
1: like pure, pure evil. They're just, they're greedy and they're not thinking of themselves. And it's, you know... It's, it's all connected to that So I look at things and I'm like Oh, the oppressive, you know Sinister Man that is running this country Or this, this cabal of people It's like, what is it? it's just individual people looking out for their own stuff. Exactly.
0: You know, and they're, they're, like, they're fucking with the government to get the government and they have a louder voice or deeper pockets to, to influence that stuff. Yeah. But we always, people are always talking about the government like there's this room of guys, the same people sitting in this office making these decisions and they have this big, like, vault full of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck and, you know, we can get, you know, they're like our grandparents, they're, they're the police, they're all of these things. But no, they're just a bunch of different dipshits that yeah. got jobs you know and it's constantly revolving yeah. every time there's a different administration or, or somebody gets a better job or gets fired it's a constantly a different group of people yeah. but it's this continuum of of American attitude you know which I recently realized I mean this goes all the way we started off on the wrong foot with this slavery yeah. thing yeah. <laughs> you know let's forget that it's the obvious issue that it is uh, an oppression that is a serious oppression of a human You know, group of people that are just like anybody else, and they got for some reason somebody decides you know they could justify going and getting them and make them work here. That was a awful shitty thing to do ethically, but it was awful awful business decision. Yeah, you know, anytime you just you figure out some loophole where you can really really tip the scales of supply and demand, you know, whatever kind of capital that you're investing in order to make a profit, you always have to pay that back many times over like a hundredfold and we're still paying back and it it happens
1: (laughs) yeah and it happens at every level of everything it's like they make these they make these decisions that (laughs) that you know you know they build a shitty building in india and Mm -hmm. put too many people in it or you know all these corners are cut and it's like you know even if you look at that example it's not the The head of the clothing company that was responsible for that. It's the construction guy who like underbid and tried to get the job and Mm -hmm. cut the corner. You know, it's all this greed. It's all this like trying to get the best deal, get the best price.
0: Greed and laziness and like lack of attention, lack of awareness, lack of, you know, I mean, I was going to say it's like it's a combination of greed and fear. Like there's. And most fear is of not getting what you want or losing what you have yeah. on, on one level or another. And then most of that's imagined, like yeah. it's it's just a it's a vague kind of a threat that somebody's suggested to you or you you know you just picked up somewhere. But yeah, like you said, so much of it is just the rich people, the the one percent, all of these people. They're just like. They don't want to lose what they have, you know, and they're afraid they're not going to, you know, get more yeah, of it. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's,
1: and when, it's, when it's tied to who you, who you think you are, when it's tied to who you, who you think you are, and you believe you are your stuff, mm-hmm. you believe you are your car and your job, and you know, you are not your fucking khakis, mm-hmm. you know, like the fight club. Right. Um, when you believe in all that, yeah, this you get fearful and you get greedy and you get... Selfish and you get shitty mm-hmm. you know
0: <clears throat> so so some you know i I see it as like, and I forget there was something i at some point I wanted to make earlier about like uh, identifying this stuff and seeing these these movements i I think gradually we're realizing, okay, yeah, there are people who are always out to exploit you, but you don't have to play along with that, you know um you don't have to act like it's some inevitability, you could just not be exploited, you could just not like you could do your own thing. Yeah. You don't, because part of being exploited is depending upon the thing that somebody else set up, you know, like you're all these people move from the country into an industrial society to work in a factory rather than have all of that onus on themselves to like farm or do whatever they chose to go work for somebody who got their shit together enough to like get the capital and build all of that stuff. And that stuff is out there. I mean, you and I could go around. We could put together something, uh, again, like Punchline, some other business. Yeah. And we could go around, beg people for money. And somebody might invest in it. They might go, okay, that guy's got a track record, this guy's talented, whatever. But we don't even do that. We go work for somebody and then yeah. bitch about having the whip cracked yeah. all the time.
1: Well, that's what's encouraging about all the stuff that's going on is that people are just deciding they're going to do it all for themselves. You know, they're going to they're say, okay, I'm going to open this store. I'm going to do this thing on my own, and it is, you know,
0: and you're doing it for yourself, but meaning like you're you're ex- accepting the uh, inertia or the initiative, you're taking the initiative to do yeah. it yourself, do DIY, yeah, right. And you can actually, because of the technology now, you can actually make a competitive product uh, without all of the capital that's required. Yeah, like there's a great the, the ground's been uh, evened out a whole lot and i think by very virtue of the fact that these voices are coming from so many different places that it can't be homogenized yeah the way it used to be there's just no way to chase all yeah. of that down and get that orwellian like thought police thing there's just not enough resources to stop yeah. all of that yeah. stuff i'm not worried about that at all i'm more worried that like really people will miss the opportunity that's there for them and just choose to become the fat lump of yeah they just become that so thing. distracted and i think
1: I think maybe that is the the that's the catalyst for all this. Is the distractions are going to be so huge that we're not going to pay attention to, you know, not just what's going on in the world, but like the guy next door to us, you know, or the you know, or the person in the street, or or what's going really going on in our our town or our city. It's you know, and as long and like whatever you do, I mean, I think the key is just to have it as corny as it is like have it be the thing that you're passionate about because if you just do things for the end result like if you sit around and think the paycheck, okay the
0: vacation the what retirement, what business
1: and... can i start that's going to make me a million dollars you know right that's that's like horrible thinking and, mm-hmm. and it's hard to do the other thing like what do i really want to do mm-hmm. what, what would i do if i had the choice to do anything or what mm-hmm. you know that's a hard choice too.
0: Devo said it a long time ago. Freedom of choice is what you got. Freedom from choice is yeah. what you want. Yeah. Given all of these options, it's we're faced with so many choices. We'd rather hire somebody to tell us what pillows to put on our couch. We'd rather yeah. hire somebody to tell us what to wear. You know, and there are people who are rich enough to actually have an individual that comes to their house, or there are people like who are just you know buying a three dollar magazine yeah. to find that stuff out. You know, yeah. to watch this channel. Like, I don't have the guts to just step out of the house in my own style. I'm going to follow yeah. fashion to the point where fashion becomes a self-imposed fascism. Yeah. You're
1: like, and too much choice is crippling, man. Too much, you know, I got a Netflix queue that's way too long. That, like, I don't know what I don't lifetime I, I imagine I'm going to watch I'm- all this stuff, <laughs> you know. You know, but I see like a documentary, oh, I'll put that aside. I'll mm-hmm. watch that documentary on
0: what do you end up watching most of the time like when you just wanna when you wanna turn off the brain and like veg out? We watch a lot of
1: uh world's dumbest, like and the wildest police chases oh, and yeah. shit like that. <laughs> That's really funny I mean funny video, you know, just stupid stuff mm-hmm. or um a lot of crime shows. Like true crime but but even that's become like this weird voyeuristic thing where they do all these reenactments right. and they dramatize it and they like might as well be watching they fetishize uh, it and Law they glamorize and it and it's like wait these the people have been killed um, See,
0: like I don't mean to sound like clueless and, and like an asshole when I say that we're not living in this oppressive society to the degree that people imagine I mean obviously people have literally been oppressed now that's not going on right now like you know obviously our president is black so that that major issue has been it might be harder for that to happen for somebody but we're not outright anybody outright saying you can't do that whether you're a woman or whatever color your skin is nobody there is no police saying you can't do that yeah you do have people you don't like and this I listen to pay inequality they're talking about this yesterday and yeah that's bullshit it's not cool but it's not illegal a, a or oppressive yeah. or whatever, really. Like, you know, you chose to go work there. Like, and I, I remember running into this at Restaurant Depot. Like, all of these people would accept the job. They'd say, how about eight bucks an hour? Yeah. And they go, okay. Yeah. And they get in there yeah. and they're like, fuck this place. Fuck yeah. eight dollars an hour. Yeah. Like, well, you, you could have just not agreed to that or bargained or something. Yeah. You know? But the good, I mean,
1: I think the good thing about it, too, is like, the, the, reaction and the response is quicker like you know for better or for worse but it's like when somebody does something wrong or even with the gay marriage thing which is like happening so much faster than I ever thought it would happen you know it's like this chain reaction and I think you know that's encouraging that there there is this sort of wave of let's all do the right thing because everybody's watching everybody's listening Mm -hmm. you know politicians get called out on their shit a lot quicker. You know? Most of it,
0: this seems to me and again i really would like to you know i like to turn these things on their ears and like and really go i mean I, obviously i don't want gay people to be told they can't marry somebody but what is really at stake here that you don't get recognized under the law um and so therefore like say you uh you're my gay lover i can't be at your bedside because i'm not family i'm not recognized uh the money that we earn together if you die uh, if it's all in your name, right. I don't get it those those are you know really valid kind of issues there um but it's it's very like it's very inflated to the point that people are saying no you're not allowed to be gay, you know yeah. you're not allowed like to have that relationship uh you're not you know that and that isn't really going on i mean there's sure there are people out there who feel that that way, yeah, but, but it feels that i mean it feels that way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and I mean, there are people who feel that homosexuality is has got to go, you know, for whatever dogmatic reasons they have or whatever. And it's I
1: mean, it's just I think it's even like a huge stretch for either of us to try to imagine that sort of really, exclusion as two white dudes. Sure. It's like
0: I've never experienced that on any level, really, except for being you know overweight as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, we're we're you know we're welcome in. Anyway. <laughs> Almost anywhere, we're completely, like, oblivious. I mean, we can try to have empathy for people, but we don't really know, you know.
0: Yeah, and that, I mean, I feel like like that was maybe even stupid for me to get uh, into that, the gay marriage thing. Because that that is, there is definitely, like, not that long ago, people... Are, I mean, there's still people getting beaten to death for that. And yeah. that is, that's oppressive. Like, that's, you know, that is a dangerous element of our society that needs, and perhaps if it's being like the legitimizing something like not allowing gay people to get married, then legitimizes the hate behind it. It legitimizes the brutality, yeah. you know, all of that. And I really, you know, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking but, about. But, but it's also like, about,
1: It's also if someone told you You could understand it this way If someone told you You couldn't do something Because of like your eye color Mm -hmm. You know Or because you know How tall you are Or your last name You know You would be like "All right, fuck that I'm going to do everything I can Right To do that thing Because everybody else (laughs) can But I can't You know So there's a lot of that too
0: Yeah yeah, I was listening about this Like the Paula You know And and I wanted to come back to this Because I was thinking about Paula Dean, You know with the the n-word controversy and and people saying oh they're being too hard on her or you know the the various polls of it we're still talking about what's her loss here is that she lost this arbitrary brand image that she had that she was getting a lot of money because people related to her and people thought she helped them sell stuff and then she comes out and and says or is you know reputed to have said or done these things and and her image is now tarnished as she can't like now people don't see her as a valuable thing to stamp on their crap to sell it yeah. and so you lose that and that that you win some you lose some there really isn't any fight on either side of this like yeah. it was you you it was a meteoric rise and a meteoric yeah. fall and it can just turn around overnight like that and behind that is really you got to be walking it like you talk it all the time yeah. because that that fortune will shift on you if you're being false in any way much more rapidly you can't control the image you can't control yeah, the I mean, as, if you're going to be yeah.
1: standing in the spotlight you can't have any like you know your mistakes are going to be magnified and I think that's that's what sparks like so much debate is like she had like this this thing revealed about her and basically she was just like her bones were picked clean Mm-hmm and everybody's like, whoa, that, that, I think there should be a lesson quick.
0: to everybody that yeah. like, it behooves you really to clean up your act, no matter who you are, because somebody could do that to you and they're not going to throw you in jail necessarily. Or like, there's not gonna be some Kafka or Camus thing. I don't remember who it was, the bureaucracy, but yeah. you know, you're going to lose. or you are going to be shunned or, you're, and just the most like commercial kind of way like <laughs> you just, but it's interesting too, that,
1: you know, the, I mean you think about the, the way that you, everybody's got a camera in their pocket, you know. Imagine if there were cameras when, when when you were, you know, in your teens and in your 20s. If there were cameras <laughs> at every party, at every night out that you were with that people would post on the internet. So it's like the ability to make mistakes has gone away. It's like
0: yeah, and it's not, not Big be, Brother, it's not a government It's the marketplace of your peers. Maybe we're all going to be big brother. We are. Because we're saying, I'm not going to do business with you. I'm not going to call you my friend or join. You not be able to be, to take advantage of the benefit of being part of this circle of people if you behave that way. Yeah, You know, it's a real... It's a, it's an actual like And even if you behave that way it, if you
1: get caught behaving right, that way right
0: right but you probably are going to get caught yeah. at this point like it's um, nearly impossible if anybody and this is the information gathering thing anybody winds up on the wrong side of that it's very there's now a a database yeah. that we can pick through <laughs> and see and that is scary so clean up your act don't yeah. don't do anything now granted there are dr- what is it draconian kinds of uh, spin doctors out there that could like take just about any of the most benign shit and turn it into whatever they want to yeah. but most of this really is it's reducing your um, opportunity it's not actually imprisoning you or saying you know now you go over here to this camp it's just like you can't if you're going to go around doing that you might at some yeah. point lose access to the things that you're taking for granted right now Yeah. it's not it's just business we'll take away your toys <laughs> yeah but I was thinking about richmond like that like okay we we didn't ever have to be oppressed like that but we grew up in a town or spent a lot of time in a town where the shame of what has gone on here is you know it's there it's a low hum like that that fear thing I was talking about before it just kind of sucks yeah that that you know that that's underlying what was built here yeah that this was built on that yeah. and that there's goddamn civil war general statues down there and even if it's like oh you put it all in it's context and whatever the fact remains that it's very hard to just sort of take pride in the brand of yeah. this city when underlying it is this this shitty thing like down yeah. there in Shaco Bottom was a market where people yeah. were sold as slaves and many of them died coming from the boat to there and they just threw them in a pit down there yeah. like they're just down there and like that's somewhere in the back of your mind and I wonder if that isn't on some level, why this town has always kind of just stuck where it is? Yeah. Like, I don't want to go do business there. You know what? Yeah, what's underlying that
1: place? And it's probably just going to take some time mm-hmm. just to like to let all that. I mean, it's never going to go away. But
0: but what do you do with it? Like you know, I mean, we can't talk about it. That's why people get so mad when somebody like Paula Dean says something like that. It's not that they're giving her all that power it's like that vague thing that's floating around that really is not resolved yeah. and it is not reconciled and it is difficult to reconcile with if we're going to have all this pride and if we're going to have all of this love for being Americans how do we reconcile that fact of the past you know and and we we worry about that all the time and then somebody like yes. her says it and you're like we can now we know where to put all that yeah. energy you know
1: but it, yeah I think it's it's something that's not going to be solved until when I mean, there's still two Richmonds, you know, at least two Richmonds. you know, there's a black and white Richmond or there's a rich and poor Richmond or there's a Richmond and there's, and right, you know, there's all these weird divisions that, you know, I don't
0: know. I mean, there's still, there's still much of that seems fashionable to me. It doesn't, it, I mean, it, it means I mean based on like I'm allying myself with these people, these are who I are my peers, these this is my scene. I would say that the yuppie or the old money in the West End that's basically what their deal is. Like I know how to dress around these people. Like yeah. we like the same music, we're like we go to the same club, we you know, we're comfortable around each other. Yeah. And you've got the people down here. With the flip flops and the cutoff shorts and you know the work, the coffee shop—they're comfortable with each other, yeah. and they're not comfortable with these other people. It's not like these other people are coming after them and saying "get out of here." They just don't know how to hang with them. Yeah. So everybody gets in their little groups of who they know how to hang with, and that sets up all of these different camps. Yeah. You know, it's not nobody's stopping anybody from relating to each other. It's just easier. Yeah. To to relate to who you already relate to. Yeah, but I, I see that breaking down. It's just oh, easier. just
1: to do your own thing and your own groove. And it's harder to step out, you know, because I could, you know, I don't have to interact with anybody. I mean, I could just go to work, come home and, you know, depending, I could choose where I want to go out to eat. I could choose if I want to go where I want to go for a walk. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, you know, and then these people, the, the more things expand and the further apart and the,
0: on the other hand, I mean it could, I mean it could get to the point that real estate is at the premium that we're not allowed, you know, to sit in a house this size just for my family that people are going to I mean it is possible that things could get scarce enough and, you know, we could get crowded in cuz that's the things Americans don't We're
1: all going to live on like uh Elysium, a space station yes. run by Jody Foster. Right. <laughs> and all the poor suckers will be down here with Matt Damon
0: yeah, the opposite is true of like uh, Escape from New York. They didn't turn that into a prison. They turned that into the special castle where all yeah. the rich people live, and then they have a moat around it. Yeah. And you can go live in Brooklyn or Queens. But I mean, it's always seemed to me that we, as a society, say, "Oh, we're not going to be like you know, Marxist or Leninist or whatever Russia, or oh, we're not going to wind up like these other countries." But we were we have yet to be in the same context as any of those countries, like. This was such. This is like the trust fund country, yeah. where there's so much money and natural resources that you could have any government here and it'd probably work okay because the majority of people are still eating and have places to live and whatever. All yeah. of that shit that happens over there happens because that's getting scarce. Yeah, you know, space is getting scarce, food's getting scarce, or whatever. And so somebody's really heavily invested in like controlling some, you know, some resources or some status quo or whatever, and yeah. that has yet to happen here. Like, we just haven't been faced with
1: that. Yeah. You know? I I just have a feeling the American empire is going to crumble soon at some point.
0: Well, is it even an empire? I mean, I think the way that it's going to crumble, and again, I was just talking to Greta about this the other day. It's it's really a continuum of lots of cultures here. Like, you know, Western civilization, Rome didn't, you know, Tony Soprano's beating somebody up, and they're like, you know, the Romans besieged us for so many days and what happened to them and he's like you're looking at them you know they never went away okay so like that that centralized thing ended but the influence continued the the west that's the beginning of western civilization right and that has continued to here so you know it is is a powerful influential entity that comes and goes but the values and the and the notions and like the motivations and all of that stuff has been continuous, and I think it's actually kind of taken over the world. Like the Chinese yeah. are becoming like that. You yeah, know? yeah. The Chinese are becoming like America. I mean, you know, all the fast food and all the that wasn't cars. That mentality was not invented here. Like it was Roman. That the Roman Empire. Was yeah, well, like maybe it's that. just like a natural, like the lowest common denominator
1: for everything is for everybody to just be like i want to buy shit i want to eat stuff and mm-hmm. i want to just
0: you and know if you get to the point that there's lug there's plenty or there's luxury and you, you now you're not your time is not occupied with like getting today's food in me yeah you know surviving it like today's like you know life or death struggle and all of that's mainly taken care of because you live in a civilization now yeah. even in rome you, the basics were pretty much taken care of, so now there's some people that are exploiting the basic level of that, and they're controlling like how it's. And then you got to entertain those people, yeah. so you send them to the coliseum and they watch Christians get torn up part by lions. And so there's always some kind of a distraction or blood sport, but it's yeah. it's really a continuation of an i, a mentality, you know. And it's I don't you know I but
1: the biggest thing to realize
0: too is that we're not going to be around to see how it all works out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, who knows? I don't, I mean, maybe they will make advances in science and we'll have to stick around and watch a bit this. Like, live yeah. a lot longer with a good quality of life. But then there's like, how do you pay for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's going to get to live longer? <laughs> there's a Justin Timberlake movie about that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're, we're coming up on a, a second hour so we can um, wrap it up. Um, so you got anything else you want to?
1: Uh, no it was good good talking with you I gotta gotta piss like a motherfucker I gotta piss like a motherfucker
0: (laughs) that was Pete Humes and I'll have you know that after I turned off the microphone we talked for another two hours I love the guy he's awesome great great guy um so coming up, we got Ryan Muldoon next week. Ryan Muldoon has uh, has a website called Revolt of the Apes. It's dedicated to um, psych rock. Um, kind of, I think he was saying it started around his interest in the uh, Austin Psych Fest. But he writes a lot about stuff, other psych rock, old, new, um, old, and new. What else is there besides old and new? It's a uh, that's his thing, that's his wheelhouse And he will be DJing at this thing that There's a WRIR benefit next week um, Rich Richmond Independent Radio uh, It's taking place at a bunch of uh, different venues in town Including Banditos and Strange Matter Ryan will be DJing the other DJs, the bands Playing all of this raise money for Richmond Independent Radio Commonwealth of Notions I think it's called there's information online about it I'm down with uh, i down with WRIR, And uh, and yeah Ryan will be playing with some of his records and lots of other good stuff going on so um, yeah dig it and uh, stop by leave a comment uh, I'm going to have an e- email mailing list soon um. What else? Donate button. Donate. Do Nate. Do Nate. That's what we want to say. Do Nate to me some money, uh, so I can keep on rolling like our old speedwagon said. Keep on rolling. Um, do you believe that a person can quit their job and just do what they love? have a work out and have them contribute to their fellows uh, based on that well then put your fucking money where your mouth is motherfucker yeah all right but i'm glad you're listening if you've listened this far you're a fucking trooper because that was a long ass interview i love you until next time namaste mother